Well, good morning, everybody. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Samuel this morning. To the book of 1 Samuel, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, grab that pew Bible in the pew rack in front of you um, as we continue in our series that we've entitled Shattered. Uh, if you do grab that pew Bible, you can find our passage this morning. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18, you can find that uh, on page 241. Page 241. And we are in the home stretch of this series. Uh, we'll be finishing this up the week before um, uh, the uh, holiday of Thanksgiving, and so we're getting there. As you can feel the weather beginning to change in that, we're getting to a place where uh, we're going to bring this series chattered uh, to an end, looking at broken lives and, and uh, uh, broken people who struggled, uh, some for short periods of time, for others over long periods of time, uh, with issues and struggles, whether trials or tribulations, whether sinful decisions that they had made and some of the harmful consequences that came as a result of it, uh, what we've come to learn is that we, as a people, uh, we're shattered. Now, whether we want to admit it or not, we struggle with issues. We struggle with all types of, of struggles with sin and, and uh, issues that have come, whether uh, by God's benevolent hand or as a result of, of, again, sinful decisions that we've made. And so we've used this series to remember, number one, that we're all in the same boat. We all are living in some way, shape, or form shattered lives. But the hope that we have is that we have a Savior who is unshattered. One who is the rock admits the storm. And he has laid before us a, a picture of perfection, of how we ought to live lives, even in the midst of our own struggles and our own uh, difficult realities. Jesus reminds us that though he was tempted though he had trials of many kinds, that his response was always, not my will, God, but your will be done. And that's our prayer as we move forward. Now, in the last, week, in the last couple of weeks, we've been studying the life of King Saul. And that's a difficult life to look at. The first king of Israel wasn't one who had it all put together. In fact, because of sinful decisions that he made, because of the way he wanted to go, because he chose to do it his way and not God's way, the life of King Saul is a reminder of how not to live. We've come to learn that when we live our own lives, doing it our own way, shunning the ways of the Lord and the word of the Lord, we come to realize that we're going to deal with some of the same things that Saul did. You see, we've looked at over these last three weeks things like Saul's shattered confidence, being unable to move even though God was, was with the people of Israel when Goliath was standing before him. We looked at the shattered directions that Saul had, unable to lead his people well, uh, finding all kinds of struggles and issues along the way because he chose to do it his way instead of God's. And this morning we come to a place where we're going to talk about his shattered emotions. Saul was a broken man, not in the way of humility, but his life was shattered because of sinful decisions and it affected every part of his being, even his psyche and the kind of feelings that he had for others. So let's turn our attention this morning to the uh, passage in uh, 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18, I'm going to ask that you stand for the reading of God's Word as we uh, look to this passage. Now, uh, we are fast-forwarding a little bit um, uh, to uh, chapter 18. There's much that's transpired since David has defeated Goliath. But before we move too quickly, I want to remind you what's going on in chapter 16. We went over that uh, for the sake of, of our series. And in chapter 16, David has been anointed king, remember? 
remember that Saul has had his kingdom taken away from him. God says, I'm going to choose a man after uh, a man who is after my own heart instead of this one that the people chose. And so God picks David as he's shepherding the, the sheep of his father's fold. We learn that during that process, unknown to Saul that this pick has taken place, that Saul has a tormenting spirit begin to cause agony in his life. David uh, is first introduced to Saul, even before Goliath is brought into the picture. David is brought into Saul's service to play so that those uh, tormenting spirits might be driven away by David's beautiful music. Now what we're going to come to learn is that David, uh, his soothing music, the balm for Saul's tormented soul is going to go away because Saul is going to become incredibly jealous and envious of David and God's working in his life and what he is doing amongst the people. And so we pick up in First Samuel chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 6, and I'm going to read just a short passage of the passage that's before us. I'll go till verse 11. Here's what it says. As they were coming home from battle, when David returned from striking down the Philistines, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry at this saying, and it displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David 10,000, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. As he did day by day, Saul had his spear in his hand. And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him. But he had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him, that's David, from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he, David had had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and he came in before them. Let's pray. Father God, as we <clears throat> come to another difficult portion of Scripture, a, a picture of sinful men and women, a picture of every one of us, it is so easy for us, Father, to, to look at this passage and say, what a loser Saul is. And yet we recognize, if we're honest with ourselves, that just like Saul, God, we, we are so jealous. We are so envious of those around us. We're going to recognize this morning, Father, what you already know and what you teach us in your word that envy and jealousy of other individuals is not so much a sin against them as much as it is a sin against you. So Lord, I pray this morning that we would seek to know what your will is for our lives, that we would recognize the role that, that the gospel plays in the realm of jealousy and envy, 
that we would recognize this morning that you sent your son Jesus to come and to show us how to live uh, lives that are not filled with jealousy, rage, and envy, but lives of love and lives of contentment and lives that love one another no matter what the other may have, no matter how bad we may want it. So Lord, I pray you would speak to us, you would challenge our thinking, and you would send us out different people as a result. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The story is told of two shopkeepers who were bitter rivals and competitors. Their stores were right across the street from one another, and they spent their days sitting in the doorways of their shop, keeping track of who had the most customers on any given day. If one got a customer, he would smile and raise his hands in triumph at the other, as if winning a battle within the war. But one night, an angel appeared to one of the shopkeepers and said, God has brought me to teach you a lesson. God has promised that he will give you anything that you ask for. But I want you to know that whatever you get, your competitor across the street will get twice as much. Would you like wealth? Ask of all that you want. And just remember, the guy across the street gets twice as much. Do you want to live a long and happy life? It can be yours, but he will live twice as long. You can be famous. Your children can have good and fruitful lives. Whatever you desire, it can be yours. But please remember, whatever you get, he will get twice as much. The man thought for a moment. Then a second moment went by. He smiled, and then he frowned. And he said to the angel, my request is simple. Strike me blind in one eye. Keep thinking, he'll get there. If you don't understand it, talk to your neighbor. Jealousy is a formidable opponent. No wonder Shakespeare called this emotion uh, the green-eyed monster. A man by the name of Dryden called envy jaundice of the soul. Taken together, jealousy and envy are one of the most corroding of all of the vices that we struggle with. We need to recognize this morning that this monster of jealousy and envy decimates friendships. It can bring a budding relationship to a crashing halt. It can impact those who have been married for a long time or those who have been married for a short season. Jealousy is the source of so many divorces today. But it doesn't just impact lovers, it impacts churches. Jealousy can divide churches. Jealousy can can make churches go off of their mission. It destroys and dissolves families. Jealousy is running rampant in our society, both within the church and out. It's a sin, listen, that you can experience without moving a limb or saying a word. Right now, some of you are having jealous and envious thoughts. As you entered in today into this sanctuary with all of these people, you began to look at others and have jealous and envious thoughts about them. Ray Pritchard, in a sermon that he preached on the subject of jealousy, brings forth the following questions that we need to ask. Are we struggling with envy and jealousy this morning? Do we secretly regret that our friends have succeeded where we have not? Do we believe that we could have done better if we had gotten the right breaks? Do we use excuses to explain why someone else is doing better than us? Do we temper our compliments with the word but? Do we complain that others do not appreciate us? 
as they should? Do we walk the other way rather than congratulate a friend on their good fortune? Do we question the motives of those who show kindness to us? Do we secretly gloat when someone else gets caught because they had it coming to them? Uh, Do we uh, not sincerely rejoice with others on their personal successes? Do we refuse to be friends with someone who might excel in our field and might be better than even us in their tasks? Do we struggle to not even be able to bear the words um, or hear our friends get complimented in our presence? Do we say things like, I really like so-and-so, but I want to make sure that we have all the facts? Are we happy to hear that some public figure was caught in a sin as if to make us feel better about our own? Do we keep our eyes on others to make sure no one gets ahead of us unfairly? Are we better at criticism? Listen, are we better at criticism than we are praise? Is it a struggle for us to not be around others without complaining how hard our life is? Do we have a hard time believing our friends may have more talent than we do? Questions we have to ask this morning. Questions on on the subject of am I one who struggles with jealousy? Now within our text, right away we have to stop and pause and say, of course the Bible has stories full of jealousy. We can think of Lucifer, who's jealous or envious of, uh, of the Lord's, uh, of God's standing in heaven. Before the earth was created, jealousy and envy were a part of Lucifer's diabolical plan to take out God. Envy and jealousy would be a part of the heart of Adam and Eve in the garden. Their, their sons would struggle, at least one would struggle with envy and jealousy when Cain would raise his hand against Abel because he is envious of what the Lord had said of Abel's sacrifice instead of Cain's. We see jealousy and envy as a part of Joseph and his brothers when his father gives him a coat of many colors. We could go on and on with stories of jealousy and envy in the life of the scriptures or in the life of human history, but one place we wouldn't think we would find envy and jealousy would be in the life of a king. And that's exactly where we find ourselves this morning. First Samuel tells us of all the people who possibly could be envious, how could it be that a king would be? I mean, wouldn't we agree the king, he has everything. Whatever the king wants, He can have. He has riches. He has accolades. He has possessions beyond measure. He has power and authority. He's in charge. And you would think of of anyone who wouldn't struggle with the issue of envy and jealousy, it would have been King Saul. But the good portion of King Saul's life would be characterized by the sin of envy and jealousy. And while we give a lot of uh, hard times, if you will, or or hard knocks to King Saul for his sin, I want to remind you of something, that the first two kings in Israel's history would struggle with the issue of envy and jealousy. You see, we we give Saul a hard time, we say, man, what what a bad king, but then we need to remember that the one that God said was a man after his own heart, David, would one day be standing on the top of his uh, palace 
And he would see a woman, and he would envy in his heart, I want her, and I have to have her. And he would sin, and he would do everything he could to keep her for himself. You see, whether you're walking with God or not this morning, the sin of jealousy is something we always have to be concerned about. We need to understand this morning that no Christian is immune to this issue. It happened in Saul's life, it's happened in David's life, and it happens in ours. And here's the reason why. Instead of us feasting on the goodness of God and his gospel, you and I go dumpster diving, devouring jealousy and envy, and in the process, rotting our souls. But here's the thing that you need to remember this morning. God loves you and I too much to leave us there. So he gives us these stark reminders of reality of what happens when jealousy and envy enter into our lives and the foolishness of living your life in that place. And he gives us truths that remind us how we ought to live this morning. So this week, as we address this condemnable act of Saul, I want to answer four questions this morning. Write these down. First of all, we want to answer the question, what is jealousy? How can jealousy send us down a downward slide? What damage is done through this malady? And what are the ways to destroy it? That's where we're going to go this morning with the time I have left. And so let's address the first one. What's the definition of this prevalent sin? Let's look at the definition. You see, in English, and, uh, and, and I'll even struggle today to make sure I don't do this. In English, the word jealousy is a word that is of somewhat uh, a difficult thing. Because when we see someone who has something we want, our response is always, I'm jealous of you. But that's not completely right. So let's define what jealousy is by first of all understanding jealousy's friend, envy. Envy is what I want to call an open-handed emotion or feeling. Uh, or, or maybe a better term than open-handed is empty-handed. It's an empty-handed feeling or emotion. You see, envy is the displeasure you feel when you don't have something you want and someone else already possesses it. When you say I'm envious, what you're saying is you've got something I want and I don't have it and I'm yearning for it. I want to pursue that. I want to have that as my own. Jealousy, on the other hand, is the closed-handed or full-handed feeling. It's the displeasure that you feel when someone tries to take something that you already possess. This is how the biblical language uses envy and jealousy. So we'll give you two definitions. Envy, so you use these in the right way. Envy says, I want something you have. Irma Bombeck captured the heart of envy in her humorous prayer that some of you may already be praying. Lord, if you cannot make me thin, then at least make my friends look fat. Well, there's some amens and laughter there. Whereas jealousy, on the other hand, says, I have something and you can't have it. Jealousy and envy are what theologians say are the two sides of the same coin. When speaking of envy and jealousy, in James 3.14, the NIV translators understood this aspect by adding, if you will, a, a modifier to the word envy. They translated in James 3.14, envy as bitter envy in your hearts. You see, bitter envy is the two-sided definition of jealousy and envy combined. 
Now, before we go too far and get into our text on this issue and see how it manifested itself in Saul's life, I want to remind us of something very important. When we speak of jealousy, that is uh, having something that you won't allow anyone else to have. That spirit of jealousy, while almost always in the scriptures, is something that is condemned, that is, is a sin, that jealousy in certain arenas is not condemnable, listen, but commendable. That there are times where jealousy is good and right. The scripture tells us, and many of you know this scripture, that God calls himself a what kind of God? A jealous God. Has, has God just sinned? If he had, the cosmos would fall off of its access. We, we know that that's not the case. What, what God is saying is, I have something, and, and you can't have it. You see, God understands and God knows that he's the best. God knows that there's none like him. God knows he's the alpha and omega, the creator of all things. God knows he is preeminent over all things, that he's holy, he's set apart. And because of that, all of those things that are attributes and characteristics of our God in heaven, God says, these are mine and you can't have them. I'm a jealous God. And because I'm these things, all the worship, all the praise and adoration belongs to me. They're mine. Now you say, well, how, how does that work? Uh, uh, to put it into a human uh, understanding. There are times where you and I can be legitimately or biblically or maybe a better term righteously uh, jealous. I have the privilege. I have the ability to be jealous anytime another man flirts with my wife. I'm not sinning. I'm not in trouble. God isn't sitting there saying, hey, what are you doing there, big guy? You, you can't do that. God says that I am Amanda's and, and she is mine. We're entered into a covenant relationship. And if anybody tries to take that covenant relationship from us, we both should be jealous. And so there are times where jealousy is a commendable thing. Here's the problem. Saul's jealousy isn't this. Here's the amazing thing. In one story of human history surrounding the king of Israel, we see envy and we see jealousy. We see envy in our text when it says that uh, David receives uh, more accolades in a song that the women sing. That Saul is envious of it. Hey, they say he killed 10,000, while they say I only killed 1,000. And then the jealousy comes when he says, uh, the only thing that I, have, that I have that he doesn't is the kingship. And I'm going to keep that as my own. Here's the problem. The kingship wasn't his. In fact, he had already been told that the kingship of Israel had been taken away from him. And so in this story, we don't have legitimate jealousy but we have a struggle, a man struggling with both sides of that coin. And, and if we're really honest with ourselves this morning, you and I probably in some way, shape, or form are struggling with both sides of that coin as well. So let's look at the text this morning, try to understand what's going on, and then draw some conclusions from it. Notice, how does it begin to manifest itself? How does it begin to manifest itself? We need to understand, first of all, that, that it begins to manifest itself in a song. Good things are happening, by the way, in, in, in uh, 1 Samuel uh, 18. As they're coming home, 
David is returning from striking down the Philistines. The women come out from all the cities. This was a normal fare. When the armies of any nation would go and vanquish their enemies, they would come back in a parade-type form, just like we do with a ticker tape parade in, in Times Square, where we celebrate and recognize the great victories over our enemies. And so the Israel army is coming back home, and, and, and the women are there cheering. Why the women? Because the men are battling. The men are coming in the parade, and so you've just got women and children and maybe some elderly individuals, but the Bible and the narrator says the women, okay? Uh, here's a problem. When you're a man, when women start sharing accolades, guys can get jealous and envious of one another. And what we begin to hear is that they begin to sing a song. They play with tambourines and they're filled with joy and they start singing. And they sing to one another as they celebrate. And I wonder if it started out with a doo-wop-dee-doo-wop-dee of some sort. And it says, Saul struck down his thousands. And I wonder when Saul heard that, he tipped the crown, if you will, and he said, thank you very much. Uh, this is a good song. I'm sure this will make the top 40 in Israel's uh, billboard hits. And things are going well. Of course the king should get praise. Of course the king should get adulation. Uh, the king is the guy who, in essence, led his army into battle. And so he's enjoying himself. Things are going well as they should. But notice they keep singing, and in the second verse they say, but David killed his ten thousands. I wonder what Saul thought in that moment. Hey, hey, wait a minute. You see, envy and jealousy begins, listen, when the spotlight gets taken off of ourselves and put on another. I will tell you what I've learned in these years as an adult is that's where real character is found, by the way. How do you respond when no one's talking and praising who you are? Even worse, how do you respond when you receive less praise than you think you should get and someone receives more praise than you think they should get? Now here's the thing. Nowhere in the text does the narrator tell us that any of this is untrue. So we can't think that Saul's like, hey, wait a minute, did you count the bodies? Did you really see David do that? It seems as if the narrator makes it abundantly clear that what the women are singing about is actually true. Saul had been a part of the, the laying down of thousands of men, and yet David's count was in the 10,000. Notice that in verse 8 then, as a result of this, notice how quickly it changes. Saul goes from no doubt being filled with joy when the women were singing verse 1 to notice at the end of verse 2 uh, of the song, in verse 8 it says, and Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. You need to understand this morning that if you think that you're going to see jealousy and envy coming a mile away, it happens like that so fast. Saul wasn't thinking it was going to happen. Saul didn't think that this was going to be a problem. Saul was, was doing okay as a, as a king. People were, were appreciating him and, and loving on him. And in one song, in one moment, Saul becomes discombobulated. 
because a bunch of women started singing a song. Listen, that praise him a lot, but praise David a little more. Do you see the fine line of envy and jealousy in our lives? Listen, I, I could understand where he would be mad if, if the women said, okay, the song do wapity do 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 doppity. Okay, Saul's the worst king. He's terrible. He doesn't do a thing. But David is great in comparison to Saul. He's outstanding. We love him. We want him to be king. Okay, that's a new song I'm going to be putting out on my CD. Aren't you glad I'm not leading the Seeds concert tonight? Listen, I get that there may be reason for, for, for some sadness and displeasure if that was the song. Listen, they praised Saul, but they praised David just a little more. How many of you this morning are envious or jealous because God, who loves you so much, has gifted you and provided for you all that you need. That's all Saul needed was just an affirmation from his people. You're our guy, Saul. Hey, we love you. You're great. You've done an awesome battle. But then as we look in our lives that God has graced and gifted and in our opinion blessed someone else just a little more. We need to recognize this brings a downward slide to our lives. How do I identify this jealousy and slander? Notice it begins with a coveting heart. It begins with a coveting heart. What's Saul's problem? Saul's problem is simple. I want what David is getting. There's selfishness in this. David has done, listen again, remember, the women are singing what we know to be true, that, that what David did was he in fact killed tens of thousands of people. Now we know, listen, we know that David is the representative of the troops that he's leading. So we know that David did not kill tens of thousands of people, just as we know that Saul hadn't killed thousands by his own hand. These two men are leading a group of men, okay? And, and here's the problem. No, none of the groups of guys are getting upset. It doesn't ever say, and the soldiers were displeased that David and Saul got all the credit. Saul should recognize that the king always gets more credit and more praise and adulation than the soldiers, the foot soldiers who actually did the battle, right? And so here we've got uh, Saul, he's upset, and the reason why he's upset is he wants all the praise. Not some of it, not a, a large portion of it, but all of it. The only way the women could have gotten it right was to say, Saul struck down his thousands, shuapity wap, by the way, and Saul kills his ten thousands. Saul, Saul, Saul. We love Saul. We can't get enough of Saul. Saul's the greatest. Saul. And let me tell you something. If you're living your life where you've got to have it all, where the second that spotlight moves off of you and you, you yell at the guy in the back, hey, hey, I'm over here. Let's get back on me. Let's focus in on who's really important. Then you better be careful because that's a coveting heart that's going to lead you down a problem road. You see, coveting 
is the breeder of all things of envy and jealousy. Let's do a field trip for a moment. I, I'd love to do this sometime just to throw you guys off. I want to take you down the hallway for a moment. We're going to hit the, the dead end at the T. We're going to turn in the building to the left, head down to the nursery for a moment. Are you there with me? Have we made it? Come on, some of you are lagging behind. Are we there? And we peer into the nursery. And what we do is we bring a nice, shiny truck to a group of young boys in the nursery. Beautiful truck, something they'd never seen before. And what we do is we hand that truck to one kid and we say, this is your truck. This is yours. You play with it. You do what you want with it. Man, it is all yours. What's going to happen when the rest of the boys see that truck? Are we going to have to teach them to covet? Are we going to have to teach them what it means to have envy? No, because we know it's a part of the human experience. And here's the problem. We leave the nursery, but we don't leave our envy, envy and jealousy there. You see, as we get older, the trucks get bigger. The dolls get nicer looking. The houses become more elaborate. The cars that we want. You see, this is all the stuff that we struggle with with jealousy. And what happens when jealousy comes? You need to understand James 4, 1 and 2 says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Why are you guys fighting, James says. And then he says, you desire, you covet, and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Some of you are at odds with other individuals this morning because of coveting in your own heart. It's not them. It's all you. It's all me. In Exodus uh, chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments are given, the final commandment is one on the issue of coveting that leads to jealousy and envy. Moses tells the children of Israel, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. We do that. They got a three-car garage. I only have a two. Their kitchen is so nice, Paula Dean would like to cook in it. They got four bedrooms, we only have three. Look how big their lot is. Look at the neighborhood that they live in. Covet, covet, covet. He says, don't covet your neighbor's house. Now it gets a little more personal. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. She's so pretty. He's so dignified. Do you see how he stands amongst the other men? He's not a messed up. He's not some waif standing before others. Look at her. Look how clean her house is. Look at how she takes care of the kids. Look how she works in the workplace. How about his male servant or female servant? The idea here is the authority that one has. Wow. Look at his role. He... He's got the nameplate. She's got the nameplate. She's got the corner office. How about his possessions? Moses says, don't covet his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. In modern day language, God says, if you don't want to struggle with jealousy and envy, then don't covet anything. You see, John Calvin once said that the human heart is a factory making, is a factory making idols all the time. And coveting makes idols out of those things by saying, I have to have that. And if I don't have it, I'm going to die, or you are. 
And so we have to ask the question this morning, uh, is our jealousy coming from a coveting heart? Notice the second thing. How do we know if we're jealous? Here's a great question. Jealousy causes us not to celebrate with others. Here's where Saul's example makes us see the idiocy of our ways. Saul's receiving praise with David. There are things that Saul has praise for. There are things that David has. And, and he can't celebrate it. He can't celebrate that he has a great military leader on his hands. He has no idea, listen, no idea at this point that David has, has been given uh, the job of being king. But listen, God had promised that Saul would live out his life before anyone else would become king. Now I want you to notice, the one who celebrates with David, go back to uh, chapter 18, verse 1, okay? I want you to notice who really should be jealous or envious of David, his name is Jonathan. And notice what Jonathan's response is. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the son of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. And so Saul sent him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Here's the one who should have been jealous, envious. Jonathan is the crown prince of Israel. And he hasn't done anything wrong. In fact, Jonathan, in his own right, is a great military leader, we learn in the passage that we explored in 1 Samuel 13 through 15. He defeats his own set of Philistines with his own hands when all of the nation of Israel was struggling with fear. And jealousy should have been in the heart of Jonathan because what David was getting was what the crown prince should be getting. And he wasn't. And so if you think that uh, not being jealous or envious is only something that God himself can have, we need to recognize that all throughout the story, as we get into chapter 19 and 20, Jonathan remains absolutely faithful in not allowing envy and jealousy. And so he's celebrating. Nowhere in the text does it say, and Jonathan struggled like his dad did. You see, the struggle with jealousy and envy is we find ourselves unhappy when others have a victory. This is a struggle. For, for some years before Noah was born, Amanda and I struggled with, with conceiving of a, of a baby. And I'll tell you, man, we had fertile myrtles going on here all over the place. At one point, I think, if I remember right, the list of babies being born in this place was up to 30 babies at one time. We don't know. We changed the water. Things seemed to drop down a little bit. Okay? But I remember some times when we would walk away from church and there was quietness in our car because it's like, come on. What's going on? Why does everybody else get to celebrate? What's the problem here? And I'm going to be honest with you, if you're struggling with celebrating God's goodness in the life of others, then there is some unchecked jealousy and envy in your life. Do you struggle when other people are blessed and you're not? How do you feel when you see someone with a brand new car as you're driving your jalopy 
How about when you hear someone comes into an inheritance? Or someone at work receives a recognition or reward that you think you should have gotten. You see, if this is where you're struggling, you're right there with Saul in shattered emotions. Notice what will happen. Jealousy produces something. It produces cruelty instead of love. For a while, you may think that you're able to contain your jealousy, but eventually it gets you farther down the road because you refuse to celebrate, and now you're not even okay with just keeping your mouth shut when everybody else is cheering. But now there's cruelty. Notice in the text how long it takes. Notice it says at the end of verse 9, or verse 9 says, and Saul eyed David from that day on. We'll talk about that in a moment. But notice the next day, the next day, 24 hours hasn't even passed, and a harmful spirit from God rushes upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. And as he did day by day, and Saul had his spear in his hand. Now, some of you right now are saying, hey, I'm with Saul, man. Saul should be getting the accolades. He, should, he shouldn't have to uh, lay down his renown to anybody else. Uh, and, and I feel that way, and I can feel that way, and nobody knows. So really, what does it hurt to be envious and jealous? It, it stays all in here. The Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. My dad said it a different way. Garbage in, garbage out, okay? And at some point, whether by word or by deed, cruelty is going to come out because you will not stand idly by and watch someone get something you think you should have. Saul says, I'm done with this guy. He got praise when I should have been getting all of it. So what does he do? He picks up his spear and listen to what he says. And Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. You know what he's saying there? I'm going to skewer that kid. He's going to be the royal shish kebab. There's anger in that. What, they, what he's thinking is, listen, what he's thinking is, is he's thinking, commentaries believe, that he's actually thinking of what it's going to look like in his mind's eye. David, bleeding profusely from the spear that goes through him. And the joy that will fill his heart when he stands over him and gloats that he is the king and David isn't. Let me ask you this morning, how many of us have thought cruel thoughts of another? Who have thought murderous thoughts of another? You see, we say uh, it will never happen. Again, I, I go back to our children. They're great reminders of what we do as adults. Over the last couple of weeks, the Badals have added a new member to their family, a little pup named Wrigley. And he's cute, and the boys love him. And he's just, man, as soon as we get home, they go to the cage and pull him out. They forget to walk him, which is a whole other issue. I'm jealous over that because I'm jealous for my carpeting. Okay, you get it, okay? And here's what will happen. One of the boys will grab Wrigley and start playing with him, and the other will say, hey, your time is up. Give him up. And they don't stop and say, you're right. You're absolutely right. Here, here's the dog. I'm so sorry for taking up my allotted period of time. Go, enjoy the dog. Now, that happens in your house. It doesn't happen in ours. 
What happens? The other one will grab the poor dog. Please don't call PETA on this. They'll grab the dog, and what will happen is close-handed admonitions. If you don't give me that dog back, you're not going to see this next week. Now, you can take one of two thoughts from this. Number one, that your pastor's house is a house full of chaos. Or, for at least Amanda's sake, you can believe that to be an illustration that jealousy and envy can cause us to do the craziest things. Because once you break up the boys and you say, really, are you going to beat up your brother because he's spending time with the dog? Well, no. Well, you look like you were going to. You took the swing. And so the question has to be asked, Saul, when you heard the song, did you really think that you were going to want to kill David? Well, no. I was angry. But I would never have let it get that far. I want you to notice that Saul never had a check that what he was doing was murder. And some of us this morning don't have that check within us. We think that it can stay in here, but it can't. In fact, listen, uh, over the next two chapters, we will see five attempts that Saul makes on David's life. This isn't a, a, a thing of insanity where he just lost his cool. Five times in two chapters, Saul is going to scheme against his a great military leader. It's even worse, as we learn in the text, David is going to become uh, Saul's son-in-law, becomes a family thing. We know that David and Saul's son, Jonathan, are the best of friends, and yet none of that. Listen, his, his daughter loves David. His son loves David, and Saul hates him to the core. In fact, over the time of David's life, Saul would, would uh, seek out more than a dozen attempts on his life. Some of them crafty and schemed. Others were just plainly barbaric. Saul seethed at the thought that David would live a day longer. How many of us are there with that rival at work, with our boss, with that neighbor that drives us crazy? Whether it's verbally or physically, what cruelty are you at the doorstep of because you can't bring it in check? Jealousy, by the way, makes us a critic of God's sovereignty. Write that down. This is probably more important than all others. Listen, Saul's anger and jealousy wasn't against David. It wasn't against David. It was against God. In verses 12 and 13, notice in the text, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. Notice in verse uh, 14 that it says, And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And so we need to understand this morning that when you struggle with envy and jealousy, your issue isn't the person. Get off of that thought. Your jealousy isn't with someone else here on earth. It isn't the girl who wears the great clothes. It isn't the guy with all the personality and leadership skills and, and charisma. It isn't the person who got the promotion. It isn't your neighbor with the bigger house. Your jealousy has to do nothing with them and everything as a Christian to do with God. Listen, because you and I know full well that God is sovereign, that he has created you, 
He has made you and I who we are. He's placed us in our situations that we live in. He's given us all that we have. Our issue isn't with what someone else has. Our issue is that God hasn't given us what we wanted. So what we're saying when we're envious and jealous is this. God, we've got a problem. You've not given me what I want. I want to look like Brad Pitt and you won't let me be that. I'm angry with you. I'm mad that he's got all the good looks and all the great fortune and all the great accolades. He's got everything. And what do I have? I've got this mug, that's it. What about my neighbor? He's got the bigger house and the better job and and seemingly everything's going well with him. And he doesn't even go to church. He doesn't even care about God. God, what's your problem? God, you didn't take the memo that followers of Jesus Christ should be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and better off than everyone else? Did you not get that memo, God? You see, our jealousy and envy is an affront to God. As if we are appointing to God and saying, you blew it, you missed it, and I know what's better. God responds to us, by the way, when we do that. In Romans 9, 20, he says, who do you think you are, old lump of clay? To tell the potter how to make things. God says, I'm the potter. You're the clay. I'm going to make you how I will make you. And listen, Tim Bedall's translation, and you better shut your mouth and do what you're supposed to. My translation, by the way. we got to stop being jealous of all the clay pottery in the room that God has created and be thankful and contented in the sovereign place and the sovereign way God has built us and created us with the purposes he has. God does it way better than we ever could. But we don't, do we? So what happens? Saul doesn't do this. Saul's not like, hey, you know what? I'm playing a role in God's sovereign plan, and and I'm willing to be obedient, so I'm going to repent of this envy and jealousy. He doesn't say any of that. And notice the damage that is done. The damage that's done. Very quickly, we won't spend a lot of time in this, but three things that, that take place. Jealousy destroys your life. It destroys your life. When the Jews translated 1 Samuel into Greek, hundreds of years after it was written, They used an interesting word for the phrase in our passage in verse 9, and Saul eyed David from that day on. The Greek word is literally the word invidio. And Saul invidioed, if you will, David from that day forward. The idea here is he envied him and he couldn't keep his eyes off of David. He would watch his every move. He was consumed with one passion. A king has a lot of jobs to do. And listen, Saul lost his kingdom because he's focused in on one guy. His son-in-law, his son's best friend, his greatest military leader. Everything that he should be excited about, he can't. And Saul is devoured by an evil spirit. And that's why another king, in fact, uh, David's son Solomon would say, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. The New Living Translation says it this way, and I like it in light of what Amanda and I have struggled with in this last year, that jealousy is cancer to the bones. You see, jealousy and envy is a little thing. It starts out really small. You can't even see it. And then little by little, you know, it grows. And that malignancy uh, takes over and it becomes bigger and bigger before one day it's so big that it impacts every aspect of the person's life. Takes away their health, takes away their joy. And that's exactly what happens to Saul. 
It will rob us, as it did him, of our happiness and our joy. He couldn't listen. He's a grandparent, no doubt. David's going to have grandchildren with his wife. And, 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 and here's the problem. Saul can't even enjoy that because they're David's kids. It's going to destroy your life. Number two, it's going to diminish your appetite for God's word. You're going to lose your appetite for God and his word. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 3, like newborn babies, we are to devour or crave, um, desire or crave spiritual milk so that we may taste and see that the Lord is good. How do we do that? Earlier in the text it says, put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy. You see, we can't taste and see that the Lord is good if we're constantly waging war against what God has given us and looking to what he hasn't. You and I will never pursue the things of God if we're too busy wetting our appetite on the things that others have and we don't. You can't focus on God and focus on the things of God and be worried about what your neighbor has. Either you're going to devote yourself to his word and to his will, or you're going to devote yourself to your will. One final thing we need to understand is jealousy is going to distract you from your evangelism. Listen, at no point, at no point will you ever be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone you're envious of. Because at the heart of it, you are in competition with them. And, and if, when there is competition, there's never compassion. And so you will never sit down and say, you know what? I love you, and you're a sinner in need of God's grace, just as I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. And, well, how do you know you're a sinner? Well, let me tell you, I envy some of the things you have. You see, if you're in competition with them, you'll never live out the Great Commission in your life. You'll never, because why? You're vying against that individual. You're not concerned about their, their eternal fortune. And listen, the only time you may be is, is you'll say something like this. Oh, they're getting all that they want in this life, but wait till the life that is to come. That's always an envious and jealous statement. I may not be getting anything here, but I'll have a throne in glory. Good luck with that one. You'll never share the good news of Christ if you are constantly envying others. So how do we destroy it? Notice the final thing, and we'll close it out. What are the ways to destroy this sin? How did Saul deal with it? How did he destroy it? Here's the shattered reality. He didn't. In fact, later in the text, later in 1 Samuel, Saul will go and have a misinformed plan, battle plan, against his enemies to garner attention to himself and he'll lose his life. His envy of David will, will cause him to be a bad leader and in the process lose his life. So he doesn't. He lives a shattered life and his shattered emotions never get fixed. And here's the sad thing. For many of us, unless we change something today, we like Saul will be the same place. But here's the thing. God is sharing a word of love to you this morning. Jesus is saying you don't have to be jealous of people. You don't have to be jealous of what other people have. I've given you all that you need. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I love you. I've gifted you with the gifts to, to change the world. You have it all. Why must you have someone else's? And so Jesus reminds us that there are ways to get rid of jealousy. 
Write these down. I won't go into them very uh, lengthy. But number one, if we want to get rid of jealousy, you have to reflect the attitude of Christ. In Philippians 2, 6 through 8, we are told Jesus, who was in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing by taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Listen, remember, there are commendable places to be jealous and Jesus lays those down. Theologically speaking, Jesus had every right to be jealous of his position as the second person of the Trinity, where he was worshiped and adored 24-7 for all of eternity. But God had a plan. God knew man was going to sin, and God had a plan. And the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, said, I will go, I will set my prerogatives aside, I will set the praise that I receive on a continual basis aside in order to become a man. I'm going to take on human form, and for the sake of others, I'm going to open my hands so that they might receive redemption. When you're jealous, when you're promoting self, ask the question, would Jesus do that? What we see is Jesus humbles himself. It's not about our positions. It's not about our desires. It's not about our prerogatives or our preferences. It is what Paul says, that we should do nothing right after that passage, nothing out of vain conceit or rivalry, that we might serve others, humbling ourselves that others may be lifted up, that we would look to their interests and not to our own. Are you reflecting the humility and the attitude of Christ? Number two, when jealousy and envy come, reaffirm God's goodness to you. When you are jealous and envious, the only thing you can see is other people's stuff. And so when that comes, and it will, you need to put the DVD in the player and replay the highlights of God's mercies that are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness to you and I. And as you play over all that God has done in your life, your response should be like that of Sammy Sosa when he used to say, baseball been very, very good to me. The response, God, you have been so very, very good to me. You've been good to my family. You've been good in all circumstances. Why can I be jealous? Why would I ever be envious of others when, God, you've been so gracious to me? Let Psalm 73 Verses 25 and 26, be your heart cry. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My heart may fail, my flesh may break, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When was the last time you reaffirmed God's goodness to you when that jealousy and envy came? You see, when you do that, another thing will happen. You'll renounce your jealousy as sin. Are you man enough? Are you woman enough today? To say my envy and jealousy are vile sins before God. And yet, I want to remind you this morning that these are the sins that Jesus went to the cross to pay. Are you willing to acknowledge the insidious issue that this disease has on your life? That it's robbing you of your joy? Literally, as the proverb writer says, rotting your soul. Do you realize that jealousy is an affront to God? And are you willing to repent of it and say, no more? Today is the day that jealousy and envy is, is going to be defeated once and for all. I'm going to renounce it 
and I'm going to reflect on the attitude of Christ, and I'm going to serve others, and I'm going to cheer when they cheer, and I'm going to cry when they cry. But what about the ones you really hate? The Bible tells us we need to remember our rivals in prayer. Write that down. Remember your rivals in prayer. Matthew 5.44 tells us we are to love our enemies and pray for them. When you see someone getting something that you wanted or desired, instead of letting that sin get the best of you, stop and pray. Lord, thank you for that blessing in their life. Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless them. Lord, I pray that this will never become an issue of pride in their life, but that they will rely on you and you alone. Lord, as I see you blessing them, I am reminded of how you have blessed me. Thank you for loving me as you have loved them. Whether it's a new house, a new car, a new child, a new promotion, Lord, thank you for your continued love and blessing in the lives of your children, including him or her and me. Finally, we need to ask that we would have a rekindled love, the rekindled love of God in our hearts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we are reminded, I'm going to be doing a, a wedding here next week, and one of the verses that, that no doubt a wedding will always have is 1 Corinthians 13. It's the chapter of love, and it tells us that love does not, help me out, envy. It doesn't envy. And we're called to love God. And we're called to love others. And we'll never be a church, we'll never be Christians who love Jesus to the point of transformation if we're envious. We'll never be a church or Christians that love one another to the point of sacrifice if we're jealous and envious of one another. We will never be able to love our neighbors to the point of action if we're too busy, busy looking at the stuff in their garage instead of the gospel need in their hearts. You see, you and I, let me close with this, you and I are recipients of God's grace. The gospel reminds us that Christ has given us all that we need and that we are called to enjoy and rest in the fact that he has been so good to us. Jealousy keeps us from that gospel reality. If we're so worried about what others have, we will never be worried about what God desires for us. But I'm thankful that Jesus came and Jesus fulfilled his mission and Jesus fulfilled his plan that he might die for the jealous and envious hearts that you and I have. That the cross was powerful enough to defeat this evil, shattered emotion in our lives and the penalty that came with it. So as you leave this place, leave in the power of the cross and the power of the Spirit. Rid yourself of all envy and malice and jealousy and be filled with the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Do it in a biblical way that you may honor him and live in light of the gospel that we've received. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and I thank you for your word. And Lord, my prayer is simple this morning. Change our hearts. Let us see with your eyes what you've given us. Let us see with new eyes the blessing when you give others the things that we desire. Lord, it handicapped and it, and it challenged and it set back Saul's life where he couldn't experience joy or peace or contentment of all the things he had 
because of one thing he didn't. Lord, I pray that nothing would keep us from enjoying and being filled with contentment, the multitude of things that you've given us because of the one thing that we don't. So send us forth from this place in love that we may live differently, not eyeing what one another has, but as if it with one chorus where we would sing the praises of a God who has blessed all of us more than we ever deserved. Now, Lord, allow us to go and fellowship with one another with sincerity of heart, serving one another instead of ourselves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.